wet wipes for your ass. I will see the flushable ones. Oh, that's I've recently discovered. Like it's and they're biodegradable, so they're like good for the environment. Fuck, I never knew you could do that. Changes everything. Like I wouldn't use dry paper again now. You sound like I a really closer. shit ed for like flushable wipes. I like the most well, the low key. Is, like... Like, see, what I no longer get is that little bit of blood on your toilet paper after you wipe your ass because I think I might be quite an aggressive wiper. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's hell. just I feel like you can see blood and now I don't get blood because it's, it's just it's like clean, one wipe, everything's cool. And you can even use like the dry paper to just wow. dry it off afterwards. Imagine if you like died in five months and you, we were all like, remember that time he says he had blood? <laughs> In the paper. <laughs> the following podcast contains three mates talking shit over some beers. As you can imagine, the language can get a wee bit hairy from time to time. So get involved. Grab a beer and join us for Drunk Therapy, the podcast. There's many reasons I love Shane, but it's his brutal honesty in life that is pretty high up in the agenda. Now we've got a guest tonight. We've got Darren Connell, great comedian, great actor. Um, Pretty much an out-and-out vegan at the moment and completely sober, advocating for both on his social media, the benefits of it. Uh, And we do a wee preamble out in the uh, office before the podcast begins, get to know the guest, you know, settle in um, with each other because we've not seen each other for a bit. And Shane rocks up five minutes ago with what in both hands? So I had about 27 chicken wings <laughs> and I sat there and I walked in and I went, oh fuck, I've absolutely shat the bed here. <laughs> and also a bottle of uh, uh, rum in the other hand. So You've no fucking shame, have you? No, but um, I, in my defence, I made eye contact and I was like, oh shit, don't look enthusiastic. So I was sitting there eating the chickens <laughs> like I was sad, like I was doing it for them. You were hiding behind a wee box, Darren. How did that make you feel when you, you, walked, you walked, he walked in with two boxes of little dead chicken wings? Yeah, it was just like a mixed emotion of like you were drinking Irish coffee and eating chicken wings and then you were talking about having blood in your ass and I'm like, <laughs> I've not even took my jacket off yet. What the fuck is happening? Can that I was, swear? Yeah, you it's can swear all you yet. want, mate. Uh, that was Danny with the blood in the ass, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I like to remove myself in that one. Eh? And then to be fair, like... um. My New Year's resolution was to go vegan, <laughs> and I've absolutely <laughs> fucked it. Don't tell my girlfriend because we've gone. We decided like because we lasted about three days and went. Oh, but fish is pretty good, eh? So we went okay. So we've gone technically pescatarian at home, so she doesn't actually know I eat chicken at, oh, at work. Man. So this is my like proper duty little secret, eh? Yeah. Like I kind of sneak away and like mouth spray in the mouth and kind of brush my teeth and get home and go, I didn't do anything weird at all. <laughs> How was your day? <laughs> You're really close to eating a cheeseburger in the toilet, aren't you? Oh, I probably would, eh? Like, and that's what I felt like when, like, when I saw you in there, bro, I was like, oh, fuck. Marla's sent him. Like, <laughs> I meant to remember about my fucking veganism. Fuck. Just imagine you going home and being like, I swear I'm having an affair, right? I'm not, I'm, it's not chicken. I've just been seeing someone else. I'm banging a girl, I'm banging a girl, yeah. not a bird, yeah. not a bird. It's was, cocaine, it's cocaine. <laughs> was there any temptation? Like, you're probably exposed to this every single day, people drinking, people eating meat. How does it figure in your head when you see someone with something that you used to eat that's very tasty? It's, it's strange because as I go, uh, I've not had a drink in nearly four years now, so it's almost alien to me. And I'm getting like that with meat and stuff now. Like I just feel so good that I don't see why I should go back to it. But at the start, like I'm used to eating junk food all the time. You think that you do miss it, and I'm not going to lie, mate. That smelled amazing. <laughs> Even the whiskey looked good as well. I thought I was going to fuck it all tonight and just drink whiskey and eat chicken, but 
it is what it is. It's, you, you just get used to it like anything else. See, I'm 14 days after the drink just for health reasons and the Irish coffee does look amazing. Mm-hmm. He brought a bottle of Baileys in the other day as well and added that in and I just thought it looked like a little nice alcoholic milkshake oh, that man. I wanted there and then. It's rather like a warm fuzzy, like a wee a wee toddy. Is that what it's called? A hot toddy? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, like a wee wholesome thing. It's a hot toddy. I had a few of those at Christmas and then basically got addicted to them. They're fucking good though, eh? Yeah, what is it again? Ginger, whiskey... So I, I do them uh, ginger beer, uh, sorry, spiced rum, um, and then black coffee, and then a wee bit of Bailey's instead of milk. It's fucking oh, wow. class, eh? Like, I mean, yeah, it's water's good as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Please. like, that's the that's the thing I think that's fucked me up the most of me. Well, I say trying to be vegan. I've done fuck all, and I've done a really shite attempt of trying to be vegan. But how do you deal with? Like the lack of just fast food and the lack of shit. Like I just popped over to Sainsbury's and went, that's fucking quick. That's easy. I'll just get it back and I'll fill my body with some food. How do you do that when you're like a vegan? Like, is it tricky? Well, I think for, I mean, it was been quite easy for me because I was a junk food diet seven days a week, kebabs four days a week, thousands and thousands of calories. And I think I just hit a brick wall that I needed to change. So... There is a lot of vegan junk food and stuff. Not as much as regular junk food, so you can still have a burger, a cheeseburger, or whatever. But I think I just scunnered myself with. It's too easy, isn't it? Like there was a period last year when I was justifying not ordering a just eat by ordering an Uber Eats, or then going, "Nah, but I'll get a delivery today." And then some days I was ordering two different ones: one for Uber Eats, one for Just Eat. And I'd probably eat about 4,000 calories. Yeah. And then you just look in the mirror and you go, you're a fucking horrible cunt, man. What are you doing to yourself? <laughs> a fat piece of shit. <laughs> I, well, honestly, I know it's quite comical, right? But this was the moment in my life that I was like, I need to change. There's a kebab shop round the corner from my house and I climb over a fence to get a shortcut to go is this, to it. Is this Gills? Yes, girls, mate, right? Everyone, mate's a delivery driver, then. <laughs> mate, I probably know he's know who it is. That's how are much you, I was in there. Are you the one that gave him a bad review in Just Eat because he didn't shut your gate? No, no <laughs> way, man. I love girls, man. They're my second family. Um, but I was, I got a kebab, donna meat, chips and cheese, onions oh. and sauce, and I climbed back over the fence and see when I was walking up the hill, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> Not enough to stop me eating the kebab, but I was like. I need to probably do something about this. I've been there, been there. You think, you, you genuinely, because I got a bit of uh, chest pains before Christmas. Yeah. And I didn't know whether it was, uh, it's my mum's had heart problems, her dad's had heart problems, she's had like heart attacks and stuff. And you, you start uh, manifesting the symptoms to believe that you're about to have a heart attack and you've got like blocked arteries or something. So I'm sitting there thinking this as I'm ordering extra pecora with my chicken korma, my, my garlic naan bread. I'll just take chips. This is just for me. My yeah. girlfriend's out the house and I'm like, I can eat all this before she gets back. But I'm justifying that. I, I'm going, I think I might be dying, but I'm still conditioned to think, nah, I should, oh, I deserve this. I deserve to have this meal and there's nothing in the house and I'm not going to walk to Asda and get something healthy. So I'll just do this. It's convenience. Yeah. It's weird, that situation. Plus, I mean, I get a cocaine high off eating kebabs. I don't know about yours. Like, it's a drug high when I eat junk food. I fucking loved it. Seriously? Yep. Maybe not as intense as a cocaine high, but... It gave me like a, a mild like euphoria. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I used to eat all that stuff when I wasn't even hungry. I just ate it because I don't even know why I did it. It's addictive though, isn't it? It's yeah. the, the the taste. Like it, 
How fucking good is it? Springbok kebabs just, come with cocaine. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing, eh? They lace it like, he's your dealer. He's like, oh, you'll come back for another fucking kebab. You're addicted. <laughs> giving the kebabs out to the kids and the shit. The only place in the world you make more money selling kebabs than actual kilos of coke. <laughs> it's the only food as well, that junk food, that it, no matter how shite it is, like it could arrive and it could be cold and it could be awful and you go, man, this looks fucking terrible. Still going to eat it all anyway, even yeah. though I know it looks shit like whilst we're fucking talking about north glasgow fast food establishments we are all the way to star five star five and one star five's up next to what was the red road flats in bermark it's the only place you can order chips and cheese and see when you turn the tub upside down when it arrives probably about 150 milliliters of just fucking gunk comes out whether it's like oil or fucking whatever it is i don't know and you go that's disgusting it looks like it's got a fucking tumor yeah. I'm still eating it anyway. Like, yeah, I'm still yeah, fucking like, eating it. See, when terrible. I see that oil, I, I, I just think that's quality food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like, that oil's out of the plate now, don't worry. Like, the plate's gone see through it. It's like it's, made your table see through. It's like the opium of the drug. This, that's the key part of it. Right. See, when you get a takeaway and it's the same weight as a kettlebell, you're like. <laughs> I need to change my life here. But then you think you're doing weight, so you go, oh, wait, if I fucking lift this to my mouth a few times, that's a workout, and I've earned it. Years ago when uh, Just Eat had just came about, and I was I was living in Springburn at the time, and I'd walked home for a night out. I was obviously fucking steaming. I'd walked home for a night out. I'd try to walk through the drive-thru at the McDonald's, but they won't let you in and on foot. They'll just say, we're not serving you unless you're in a motor, which is quite fucking shite when you think about it. But the only place open on Just Eat three or four o'clock in the morning was the three and one in town and you had is to is that not a booze shop no 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 it's up near Charing cross it's opposite the kings and oh yeah yeah the minimum that. order was 25 quid and the delivery was a fiver and all i wanted was chips and cheese and i was drunk still ordered 25 pound worth of food <laughs> so i get chips and cheese like whatever say it was like a 16 or an 18 inch fucking cheese and tomato pizza a kebab, a cheeseburger, a couple of things just to bulk up this order. I didn't even eat half that chips and cheese before I went to my bed. And I woke up and I was out the next day, so it's not as if I could have it like hung over the next day. And I still think that's the most expensive chips and cheese anyone has ever bought. How long do you keep it? Like, see, if I ordered a, just say I ordered a hoagie and I wasn't that hungry, and that's a, that's a kettlebell, you know, weight right there, and I only eat half of it, I might keep that for a day or two and then go back to it. And I know that's really unhealthy. Mm, a day. That, is that day a push? Day a push. Next day. I think it's yeah, like, that's day. the punishment Aye. and the reward. So like the next day you're hanging like fuck and you're like, you started this, you must finish it. So that's the kind of the punishment. But then the reward is like the endorphins of like, you did not let that hoagie beat you. You scaled fucking Everest <laughs> and you showed that kebab that you are a hero to all. Thanks, and then your, girl, <laughs> your girlfriend's like, stop eating the hoagie in bed and you'd fallen asleep and you've got fucking onions all over yourself. I've got a problem with next day hoagie because I enjoy the meat part of it, but there's no way to get the chips back chips to the, you know, the crunchy yeah. way it is. And you just need to accept it, begrudgingly accept that you're eating shite chips. Yeah. How do you, in January, right, everybody's, everybody's trying to go vegan, right, or do their bit to change their lifestyle. And I think that the stumbling block that most people will face is mental strength. You know, you go in with the best intentions and then you have a shite day at work or you're tired or you've just got a craving, you know. How did you, you know, build a, like, you know, mental blocks to keep out of that chippy at the start? Well, I mean, I think there's a few things. I definitely hit my rock bottom. So, see, exploring a new kind of avenue or trying to make myself feel better, it didn't feel that hard. But 
I was a seven day a week junk food diet, way over the top in calories. So see when you, I went vegan for elimination reasons. If I went vegan, I can't eat McDonald's and kebabs, which I ate every day. So when you remove that and add, obviously you're adding salad and stuff, you feel, I felt instantly better, like almost an instant happiness and a joy and then it becomes easier and easier. But you can get vegan junk food and stuff, you can go and get, I mean some of the stuff is so close to the real deal now that I've had to ask waiters a few times, like are you sure that's no beef? Mm-hmm. So see if I, if I wanted a burger or a cheeseburger, I'd get it for a vegan place and it kind of takes that, you know, that feeling of, oh, I want a, a burger away. Was there ever any moments, though, in the early days where you're like, I've done five days of this, so I could just reward myself? Just no harm in it. I definitely, like... So how do you combat that? Because like Shane says, he's trying to go vegan, and he's like, nah, man, the chicken's so close, it's part of my daily routine, getting some chicken at lunchtime. When we had a chicken club in uh, work, and we are both trying to, you know, because we know the benefits from a health perspective... And then from the, you know, industry that is, you know, slaughtering animals. Yeah. yeah you know, so there's moral implications there, but you can't help it. I, go, I went for a KFC just before this and I'm like, fuck. I did Aye. it outside the studio though. <laughs> <laughs> is you, is Aye, like, away from me. <laughs> me. <laughs> I saw you come in empty hands and I was like, Fuck it, ate it there, didn't he? Ah, oh, fucking yeah. hell. Of course he did, because he's not an idiot. I was like raging at myself. I was like... I was going to eat it in the like in the elevator on the way up. I genuinely was like, can I get away with just like smeagling it? Like, <laughs> my precious. But it's all bony and like messy and shit like that. Fair play to you for doing it in front of me. I was like, ah, fuck it, fair play. I mean, I'm not that type of vegan that's like, oh, how dare you and stuff. People can drink and eat whatever they want. But I just know that, um, like how dash what was the question? How does How strong? did you stop yourself I, that, those early days when, you know, most people are falling off the wagon every single hour just now when yeah. it comes to what they've set up for their 2020 goals, especially when it comes to their diets. They're just like, nah, do you know what? Shit, day at work. Yeah, I've broke up my boyfriend or girlfriend or, yeah. you know, fucking bored them, basically. So how did well, you keep going? Because I know it's the biggest stumbling block for most people. Well, vegan food is tasty. A lot of people think it's boring and stuff, so it's just like it, my taste buds were like, "What the hell is happening here?" Because I'm eating all this new stuff. So, if anything, at the start, I, I put on a wee bit of weight at the start because I was like trying all this new stuff, eating all the time. But what, I ballooned what? up. I was like forty-two in a waist. I was nearly twenty stone. But when I went vegan, it was like almost instantly health benefits. I have had mental health problems as well. I was on antidepressants and stuff, so I've stopped all that. I just feel like, uh, I felt like I was, char- like, you know, when you plug in a phone to charge, that's mm-hmm. what I felt like when I was eating vegan. What were you eating? Like, did you educate yourself or did you just start looking, there's a salad, I'll have that? I just, I was putting into Google, like, um, Glasgow, just putting in words like Glasgow vegan and just seeing all these restaurants, walking into health shops and vitamin shops that were vegan friendly and just saying look I want to be a vegan what do I need to do um going into these restaurants and trying all this new stuff there's a lot of stuff that I ate anyway and I never realized it was vegan like falafel and all that hummus it's beautiful tasty tasty stuff and I can eat it no bother porridge for my breakfast and uh so it was all right I think my biggest stumbling block is I hate most vegetables it's you do, aye. When you have a phobia of onions, then it's going to be an issue mm, to yeah. turn vegan. I hate them, I hate them. And uh, see, when you're talking about your rock bottom, was that walking up that hill? 
there's been a few rock bottoms, but that was a major one. I was thinking, God, I'm, I'm 31 at the time. I was like, I need to change my life. And just, you know, I, I, I used to overtrain as well. I had a unhealthy relationship in the gym. So I used to go to the gym. I can't remember who I read did it. I think it was a rock or something. You know how he puts up these crazy cheat meals mm-hmm. on Instagram, like 40 cookies and free pizzas? And they're always got peanut butter in them. And yeah. because he's ordered for three and one on Just Eat. Goals in Springburn. <laughs> um, so I was like, so I used to go, now see when you're 20 stone, I used to basically go to the gym nearly every day and I used to do that to myself. I'm not leaving this treadmill until I've burnt a thousand calories. So I used to run on a treadmill until... I did 1,000 calories. See, when you're 20 stone, sometimes I was in the gym for like two and a half hours and stuff. And then a, a minus 1,000 calories would walk out the gym, be absolutely starving. Then I would have like grenade bar, packet of crisps, a toasty, a bottle of Lucasade, go in for a sauna and a steam room up the road and then get a kebab out of girls and think, oh, but I've burnt 1,000 calories. And just this cycle of overeating, overtraining, but I went to the gym and I weighed myself and the guy weighed me and he's like, over the space of three months, you've only lost something like four pounds and I just thought, I've been here every single day doing You've a thousand... You've been busting your ass to do that. And I was getting injured as well, something that never really happened, I found myself getting injured quite a lot and the guy in the gym that works in the gym says, you don't need to come here, like, your gym's in the kitchen, like, it's what you eat that's causing the problem. And the penny dropped right then and there. I can't do cheat meals. I can't treat myself to food. I'm not a dog. I, I don't have, like, my ex-girlfriend did that to us. Why don't you just have, like, a large McChicken sandwich meal as a cheat meal? I've never done that in my life. See, when I go into McDonald's, I'm having a large Big Mac meal. I'm having 12 nuggets. I'm having two double cheeseburgers and a McFlurry. Yeah, you need some side pieces, yep. don't you? And that's what I do when I get... Or, like, I take the McDonald's back to the house. I'm putting fucking cheese at it. Nando sauce. Salt. I'm adding salt to it. It's always over the top. Too much. <laughs> Make me hungry, man. I know I'm getting horny talking <laughs> about this, man. I'm actually sitting with a semi. I've never thought about cheese in a McDonald's before. But that's... Yeah, no, can I try anytime soon? But it's in my head now. So, like you were saying, it was say four years ago that you kind of hit rock bottom, and that was is that round about the time you started taking like comedy and acting. Like you were saying before, like as a full time thing, is that when you started making that switch? Was that around about the same time, and did that help? Or well, I got sober four years ago. I've been vegan for nearly a year. But I was certainly, I was definitely in no man's land for years. Yeah. Um. I did my first gig when I was 18 and I was shite. I was just awful at it. Lost my confidence. I died in my arse. Never did it again until I was 22. But obviously addiction problems, mental health problems, I never really fully committed to comedy. And then, but it started like I've went properly self-employed since I've went sober. Like, yeah. I've just grown up, really. Yeah. And recognised my worth. And just fully committed. It's just gave us a confidence that I can do it. Was it scary? Like, see, d- making that first step and going, fuck, you know what, I'm backing myself. I'm stopping whatever jobs I'm doing. I'm going to g- yeah. give this a proper go. That, was that scary? Yeah, it's scary, especially when you're in Glasgow and you've been raised by a family full of tradesmen and stuff and nobody's in the arts and 
nobody does stand-up comedy. It's very judgmental and what are you doing that for and how are you going to earn money? What about this? What about that? I'm just self-employed. It's a self-employed life like anybody else. You're always chasing work regardless. But What, um, what sparked you towards comedy then if you're... You know, your family is completely out of sorts for what they do. Well, my granddad was really funny. Uh, he passed away when I was really young, but he was re- I always remember him being so funny. And any time I went into his house or he, his room, he had, like, Charlie Chaplin posters and Marx Brothers stuff. And he was just, like, always putting on comical voices and stuff. I always remember sitting and watching the Marx Brothers with him. And I always thought, like, see if he pursued that, he could have probably been an actor or something like that. So he he planted a seed. And when I was younger and stuff, I just became obsessed with the Marx Brothers and Charlie Chaplin. Then it gave me an interest in TV production, which I did some of that. I realised that wasn't for me. But it gave me a love of film and movies and always just a daydream about maybe being an actor. But I was doing a TV production course... And I lost interest like a month in. I was just like, this, I can't do this. And a guy in the course was like, why don't you try and do stand-up comedy? And at that time, I never even heard that sentence. I never knew what a stand-up comedian was. I knew that Billy Conley was a stand-up and Eddie Murphy were raw. But I've never heard of the stand or comedy clubs. I never knew you could do stand-up in pubs. And he explained to me that you could do that. And it just... A light bulb went off in my head. Where uh, where was your first gig? It was at the stand at Red Raw on a Tuesday night. Yeah. I was 18 years old and I can't remember much yet. But Do you remember who the compere was? Gary Little. Right. I, I was I done my first one there and it was uh, Jojo Sutherland. Yeah. And it was so bad that when I came off, she had to say to the crowd that was his first time doing stand-up. <laughs> so all of a sudden, they all just kind of went... Oh, <laughs> now it all makes sense. Yeah. They should and say that fucking first day. Like, by the way, please be nice to him. It's his first go. He might yes. be shit. Like, just a wee disclaimer beforehand. It can be quite a forgiving or unforgiving crowd. The red draw on the Tuesday, can mm-hmm. it? Because if you get if you're uh, in the audience, I've never done the comedy, but if you get two shit comedians in a row, you're definitely unforgiving that second comedian. You're like, yeah. there's expectations here. Yeah, and um, big Gary Little's from North Glasgow as well, so he probably did he take you under your wing, or were you just at that point sheep headlights, rabbit headlights, and not sheep headlights. headlights. Should put more sheep headlights in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, I think it's possum and headlights. Yeah. I genuinely think that's yeah. what we say in New Zealand. Or did you just disappear after that first gig and just go right? Well, I think I was just like I've always not recently, but just socially awkward and nervous and just a bit of a loan a loner when I was younger. And I walked into this comedy club. There's two hundred people there. I've never done any acting or any performance in my life. Next thing I know, I'm in front of two hundred people trying to do five minutes on top of being so nervous that I drank a bottle of red wine at two in the afternoon. I had about 10 Budweiser's in my house. So see, by the time I got to the Stan Comedy Club, I was paralytic, steaming drunk. I wore a charity suit shop that I bought and a fucking top hat thinking, (laughs) thinking that I would have been funny. And I was sinking pints at the stand as well. And Gary was just like fucking put that paint in I went up and I was maybe funny for two minutes but they quickly I repeated a joke word for word just repeated it when I was steaming and then it just people went from oh that's not a joke he's fucked and then I just died of death 
shit man but after that it was so horrific I was like I can't do that and then I got till I was about 22 and I always thought like that can't be the first and last time I do that I need to try again and if I try again and I'm shite I won't do it and I done it again and only did two minutes I never did five minutes and this was Red Raw again yeah Red Raw but I got a couple of laughs laughs during the two minutes that made me realise see if I just build my confidence here and start doing it I think I could build something. And with in that interim four years, were you building more awareness of the circuit, going around seeing comedians and going, well, you know, I, I could do this? I definitely. I started going to Red Raw comedy nights every night um, with my pals all the time. And then my pals started getting sick of it and bored. Then I realised I was going myself. But then I went to a college course. I went to be a barber for nine months. Same again, halfway through, I was like, this is shite. What am I doing with my life? I got up, I asked the lecturer, I need the toilet. I just walked about the college. It's like bored walking about the college. Seems to be a common theme when you're bored or... I, <laughs> I just like... I need to go to the toilet. I, <laughs> I was like walking about and I just seen this poster on the wall and it said stand-up comedy course, 10-week course, um, learn how to write and learn about the industry. Was that Obi? No, it wasn't no. Obi. Um, it was a guy called Charlie Ross. He's yeah. not a comedian anymore, but he was a teacher in the college. I mean, nobody can teach you how to be funny. Mm. You're either funny or you're no funny. But people can teach you about what, like, green room respect is. They can show you what a compare does, an opener, a main support, f- words that I've never heard before in my life, things that. You know, I never knew that an opener did 15 minutes or an open spot does five minutes. So it gave me an education. I was surrounded with like-minded people and then you get a a gig at the end of it as well. But I was quite lucky that I just started gigging during the course. So by the end of the course, um, Charlie was like, um, there's a competition called the Scottish Comedian of the Year. Um, You've missed the cut-off date, but I can get you in because I know the guy who runs it. And I entered it, Charlie entered it as well, and I got to the final. And Charlie got to the final as well, as I was still in his course. And The student becomes a teacher. Aye, aye. <laughs> was that your final lesson? He's like, now this is how you attack an audience with a knife. He's like, <laughs> you wee bastard, get out of my class. No, but it was like I went from like seven gigs and maybe five, like for when I was 18, and the next thing I know, I was 50 gigs in 10 weeks. Then I got to the final, and then... For a year after that, I think I did 150 gigs. Shit, Ooh. man. Yeah. Just run at it. I mean, you getting paid at this point for the gigs, or is it still just putting your work in? Just putting my work in, learning about the circuit, dropping in and out as well, like having confidence problems and just not really knowing how to perform properly. So, but I think the first time I get paid was a fiver, and it was a cheque. Somebody wrote me a cheque. And I genuinely thought, I'm framing that, man. Yeah. I'm going to frame that, put that above my bed. I'm keeping that forever. And three days later, I was like, I'm skint. I need to fucking cash that. <laughs> Get a bottle of red wine. And during this period, like, I think it's, I genuinely, so I'm about to get made redundant, right? Oh, really? In, in March. And Fuck. I'm currently, I'm applying for a job a day. Uh, at the moment and I'm I'm worried the, the biggest thing I'm worried about is not the financial implications it's more the structure and mental health implications because I need to come to work every single day I need that 
um, that period of time where I'm engaged in doing something productive or I know that my mental health will deteriorate quite quickly because yeah. I'm not the sort of person that will go out for walks and fill my day up with things progressively because I'll stay in bed till like two o'clock, watch Netflix on my phone and then go downstairs and think that because I've changed from upstairs to downstairs, that's productive. Yeah. See, during that period for you, when you're doing all these gigs and you've talked about your mental health problems, was the lack of long-term structure something that you struggled with? Yeah, I mean, you're just kind of jo- skipping from jobs. You don't... I wasn't getting paid as a stand-up comedian for a long time, and I never really felt like a stand-up comedian. And then Scott Squad came along, and it started to change, but it wasn't like until I went self-employed and I seen on the slip and stuff, like actor, comedian, and then I felt, oh, no way. I'm actually paying tax and paying bills for this, and that made me feel like a stand-up comedian, but... Yeah, with the lack of structure and going up to Inverness on a Wednesday night and not getting paid and stuff, it's and then you're sometimes getting paid in drink as well. I never, ha- I never thought I had a drink problem, but then see the first couple of years doing stand up and you're in a venue and you're just getting a couple of pints for your payment, and then the next thing you know you're doing six gigs a week. It's five pints every time you do stand up, six pints. Was comedy enabling then the addiction, do you think? I think and there so. wasn't an awareness there. You were taught everything about, you know, the implications of becoming a comedian and what you need to do, mm-hmm. not how to do comedy itself. But there's not a class in how to handle yourself when you're just offered drink or yeah. drugs or all this. Especially when you have the feeling of pure euphoria of doing a gig, something that you've never experienced before. So see if you do half decent, you kind of feel like, no, I've earned this paint. But see if you've got an addictive personality. Like sometimes I would go into pubs and restaurants to do stand up and they would offer me food instead of beer. And if I'd still eat the food, even if I wasn't hungry. But in my head I'd be like, fuck it, it's free. And that's my wage. I'll eat it. So it's not even just with alcohol, it's with everything. But you kinda think, Oh, I'm a wee bit nervous, I'll have a pint and then you do well, I'll have a pint. Or if you die in your arse, you're like, Great, I better have a pint then. It's the, it sets that up. One thing that I was trying to explain to people, so I've I'm four years, nearly four years since I done my last one. I'm trying to get back into it this year, but when geeks try and tell people about stand up, it's hard to explain just how expensive a hobby it is. Yeah, but see, getting up, I think that one of the last ones I done, I went up to Dunfermline on a Friday night. See, so I given up. I was working back shift at the time, so I'm having to fanny about, change my shift at work, drive up to Dunfermline on a Friday night, get into this pub, nobody's turned up. Mm. thing gets called off and that's it back down the road 20 quid in petrol fucking about you're up at five in the morning for work the next day because you've had to change all your shifts a bit and it it's a fucking slog it's like yeah. it's a really really unglamorous thing <laughs> yeah and and on top of people saying get a trade get a real job Aye, yeah um if you're in a relationship um after a couple of weeks your girlfriend's like you're out every friday saturday how come you can't go to weddings, birthdays? It all kind of, it gets really stressful. Aye. It's interesting that you said what your family said when you signed up, because I remember when I first signed up to do stand-up, one of my parents told me that I wasn't funny. Yeah. And I just went, what are you doing that for? You're not funny. And you're like, all right, okay, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the right, guys. <laughs> that was the first, I always remember that, and it's my, I've got three brothers, and it was one of the brothers that I get on with really well. I phoned them, and I was like, uh, I'm thinking about doing stand-up comedy. And before I even finished the sentence he was like you need to pull your finger out your ass <laughs> he's like you need to get a real job you need to go and get a trade what you want to do that for stand up comedy what a lot of shite and I actually said to him am I not allowed to have a hobby like what are you talking about I've not even done one gig yet and you're saying I can't do it 
but he's became really supportive now. But I always, I always remembered that as well. It's hard to forget that. Fuck you guys made like comedy so depressing. Like I'm sitting here over here going, chase the dream kids, chase the dream, <laughs> chase the dream kids. It's gonna be you, you get a real job. No, Shane, but- they need more support structures in comedy. That's all we're saying, right? Know. I think it's just Scottish. It's a Scottish mentality. They're just like the fucking cunts with everything. That's <laughs> a, that's a, we were just talking about this outside. We were talking about like how, I don't know, I, get, I hate doing saying, oh, it's typical Scotland because we don't actually know what countries are like typically elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But we are fucking brutal with our own comedians. But if There'll be a, a trailer for a TV show and everyone will just go, that's shite. And you'll go, yeah. you've seen like 30, nah, that's shite. It's just, I know it's shite. And yeah, we're fucking, we're harsh critics, man. It's, it's the exact same in New Zealand. We call it tall, tall poppy syndrome. So it's like, we like you if you don't look like you're trying. But once we think you're trying and you're trying, mm, th- yeah. that guy's a bit you're too fucking, oh, yeah. look at this guy trying. Like, so like, the whole thing is like, you could be the best at whatever you do. As long as it doesn't look like you're actually putting any effort into it and you're like, ah, it is what it is. You know, that kind of thing. People go, ah, he's just a dude doing right. a thing. He's he. They like it if you've lucked into it. Yeah. But if you're actually putting a slog in or you're like, you're focusing on it. Our whole country goes, nah, bit of a dick thing to do that, eh? Just and bloody, just have a beer, mate. Just and if you get successful abroad, oh, can't sell out. <laughs> Fuck them, mate. Now, we're the opposite. See, if someone, like, from New Zealand gets six, you guys have seen me talking about Lord all day. Like, if someone gets successful from New Zealand, it's, like, in your DNA that you have to bring them up at least once a day. <laughs> See, like, Taika Waititi, I'll bring him into any conversation I can. But someone's like, do you want a tea? I'm like, Waititi? Taika Waititi, his new movie, Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> Let me t- and they're like, fuck off. We know he's a director from New Zealand. He's good. Flight of the Concord. Yeah. A, I, I wish we could dig a little deeper and find the Scottish roots in this guy's like, heritage. <laughs> so we, so we can call him a sellout. <laughs> yeah. Can't. He moved overseas. So um, so Scott Squad, you said that was like the first kind of almost wage, is it? Or something that's like... Validation, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, the validation. It's that first thing that's like, holy shit. Was that... Because I saw clips of that in New Zealand... Wow. Yeah. There's a few things I saw. I saw I saw a wee man do raps in a playground. And this is and I also saw I can't remember what clip it was, but I, I remember thinking, is that a fucking for real TV show? Like I, I it was it was funny, but it wasn't done in a way that was like over the top enough that I went, That's shite. And it was kind yeah. of like I was sitting there going, That's in Scotland. Is that and I was sitting there <laughs> second guessing it going, is that real? That's fucking hilarious if it's real. Well, you actually thought it was a documentary? Uh, it was just one of those clips. It was like one of the short kind of, not teasers, but it was, uh, is it the one where there's the... Probably the one with the pipe. That seems to be the it's the one. Of the, one it's yeah. the one with the pipe. And it wasn't, you didn't know. It, was, it wasn't It was like, it wasn't hell slapstick. It was uh, to the extent we went, no, that's yeah. not fucking, surely. But uh, I remember watching that and going, that's fucking awesome. Was it? Like immediately a big thing Were people pumped on it Or was it kind of a bit of a hard sell In the beginning so, uh, The pilot came out And it was just so You know a pilot's or, You know it's just like They're not really built up To be anything massive So it was exciting to do a pilot anyway That was my first edition And I felt good about it But you know it was just like A day's work I was grateful to kind of get my chops into that And do a a new thing but it didn't really start off with a bang yeah but it went well it got received well and then i thought oh that was it it won't get made into anything and then it took a couple of months and it's kind of got really popular within the last two years 
Social media helps that, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, that's probably where I've consumed most of the clips. Yeah. Um, so I didn't see it at the time, but I'm, I'm well aware of it now. Yeah. You had, uh, you'd done some, like, your own sketches, hadn't you, on, like, YouTube and stuff? Well, that's what I was going to say. I watched the Chappie Pickle story oh, this God. afternoon, and it was it's Joe Hewlett that uploaded yeah. it, and it's, what, fucking nine years ago or something now? <laughs> so how long ago, or how did you get to know him before Scott Squad even... So Joe moved up from London and he got a a job in the comedy unit as a runner and uh, he started doing stand-up as well and he was funny and he was a good comedian but I think he realised that his talent was in what he's doing right now, producing and directing and stuff. He's he's great at what he does and uh, I'm not down, like I know this has been quite a negative chat about stand-up but I was like building myself up, I was getting good at it and I was feeling good, I felt like I was maybe one of the best up-and-comers in the circuit and he was in the Holt Bar one night and I was doing new stuff and he just said, look I've got this show he, he totally downplayed it, he just did that I've got this show that the comedy unit are making, we've got Editions on Friday. Do you want to come in for an audition? And I was like, I'm working, mate. And he's like, I know, but it would be good if you could try and get it off. And I couldn't get it off, so I dogged it for <laughs> my work. I actually went in with my ASDA uniform on, get changed. <laughs> did you phone in sick? I phone. Did you date yourself or did you get something? Oh, fuck, you? I can't even remember. I used to be mum when you were like, <laughs> you're like your early 20s, you still got your mum or your dad. Hi, I've done that a few times with my mum, like phone, phone in. But, um, you know, nobody gave us advice or anything, so I just went in and treated it like a gig. All these actors were in this room and they were so nervous, and I was like, no, I'm going to treat this like a stand-up gig. I have this weird kind of mental game of thinking, if I get nervous at a stand-up gig, I think every single person in this room is my best mate, and I love them, and I'm going to make them laugh, and they want me to make them laugh. So I went in there in a really good mood, and I just said, fuck it, I'm going to enjoy myself. And, and was it were you auditioning for that part? Did you know the part, or were you just in showing your capabilities and your range kind of thing? Well, no, no, because it was, it was massive... Uh, improv games so right. you get two editions the, the, there was one when you just go in and there was Joe and a guy called Noddy and you come up with two minutes you're either a, a police officer or a bam and I, I went a bam and I just improved for two minutes talking about how I think I was talking about sticking coke up Mars and stuff and drinking <laughs> coke through a Johnny with olive oil. I, and I think Noddy said that was really funny, but you need to stop talking about your ass. <laughs> and then I went into the massive improv game and I've heard that they were like, you were so surreal and so mental that they said You're, you were funny, but you would just be too silly for this TV show. And then Joe said... We we actually why don't we create a character for him, and so we can get him in it, and then that's how Bobby came about. So, and did you collaborate or did he just write it? And it it was we collabed. I mean, Joe came up with the idea. If it wasn't a Joe for Joe, I wouldn't be in it. It oh. was his idea. He said, I think he was like, why don't we make a nuisance a nuisance that comes into the police station and he annoys a police officer, and then I went in and we we came up with the character together. I came up with the name Bobby Muir because there's a comedian called Gus Limburn in Edinburgh. Very, very funny guy. He always called me Bobby Bobby Dazzler. 
Now, it was always he was dead funny, just a funny off-the-cuff guy. And I was like, right, I'll keep Bobby because he always calls me that. And then Muir is because there's a comedian called the Reverend Obadiah Steppenwolf. Yeah, one of the best. Stand up, yep. the best. And his name, his name in real life is Jim Muir. Mm-hmm. So I was like, he's my, my hero. So I'll keep, I'll have Muir as the surname. I remember we were doing some content on Capital Breakfast with uh, Reverend Obadiah and he was basically exercising a spirit from a horse in Edinburgh. Like, <laughs> fuck knows how we got onto it. But um, I turned around to him, I went, right, just hammer up. And he looked at me and went, kid, I've been doing this for the past fucking 15 years. You fuck off. I was like, right, I'm back in my place now. Shat myself. I don't shite myself easily, but I looked at him and I went, right, I'm, I'm way back in myself. What's yeah. his name? The Reverend Obadiah, mate. He'll, he's, he's one of these stand-ups. He's just, he just makes it look so annoyingly effortless. Like, where was it you and I went to see him in, oh, it was fucking Jumping Jacks. Red Door Comedy. Aye, and... He was. He just came out and just spoke about how shite Jumping Jacks was for twenty minutes. Just clearly, just fucking saying what was in his head. And only him and Joe Heenan are two comedians are just capable of just walking and just effortlessly going out and saying yeah. some shit and walking away again. And Tom, it's, Tom it's stayed as well. And Raymond Mearns, I put them in that category. Yeah, I yeah, agree with that. Them, like Raymond Mearns is one of the most naturally naturally funny people I've ever met in my life almost to the point where he actually goes into his routine you're like you're a wee bit disappointed you're like just yeah. talk to people yeah. man just say what's in your head aye. at that moment because it's funny as fuck like straight off the cuff um, aye Scott Squad though there's, there's a lot of things like we c- those glasses I've said this many times like the glasses are my glasses I had them when I was younger I used to wear them <laughs> when I was like 14 and I kept them in the drawer in my room I thought they'd be funny as a prop one day I'm going to keep them uh, I made Bobby a trolley boy because I was a trolley boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've got a long-standing friendship with Shireen Nanjiani. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she's my best mate in real Nye. life. Uh, so there was a lot of things like I kept in, uh, but I was just very, very lucky, really. And if it wasn't for Joe Hewlett, I wouldn't have got the part. And did it change? Like, what year did it come out then? I can't even remember. Honestly, it was so long ago. It felt you so drinking long. at this point or did, was that part of the period of just like I'm gonna yeah I was drinking but because I mean go, getting Scott Squad changed my life it instantly moved me from a very good open spot opener to getting main support gigs and then I started closing like open spot nights and maybe other nights and getting paid that way you so so many fiver checks hi <laughs> so like it did change it and then uh i just thought i've never been unprofessional i've always did the job but it was catching up with me as well and i think one scott squad i did i can't remember what i what one it was but people were tweeting me like oh fuck's sake you've put the weight on and the beef on and stuff and i was just all this kind of stuff was building up and then i thought do you know i can be so much better than what i'm doing right now it's a shame that it takes that uh toxicity to motivate you though yeah you know, like fucking people just sit behind a keyboard probably the exact same way as you or you know, yeah equally as unhealthy thinking no, i'm just going to slag this guy for no reason other than he's on my tv and he's successful yeah it's fucking shite man so it was a it was a numerous kind of build up of things but as soon as i chucked the bevy it was a game changer i felt like i found uh like i've all i have always been funny but adding alcohol to it was just like slowing me down and People think if you're nervous and you drink alcohol, it will help your nerves. It doesn't help your nerves. You're just drunk and nervous 
so you have to deal with two things. So CT experience, stand up in front of four or five hundred people when you're sober and no drinking. That's a drug. It makes oh. you, it's, it's, it's a drug in itself. So if any, and then you you don't get paid much anyway. So you're fucking drinking your half your wage, mm-hmm. if no your full wage. Uh. And did you start getting recognised after Scott Squad as well? Like out in the street, randoms? I, only if I was wearing my glasses. <laughs> if I don't wear my glasses, I don't really get recognised. And but, then I've got the beard as well, so. Do you ever go through days where you're kind of like, oh, I'm a bit low today. I'd like some people to say hi. Do you even just go out in your glasses just so people will <laughs> yeah. be like, hey, you're that guy, hey. Because I, I think people think, I mean, obviously I do. I mean, I'm not going to be like, I'm an actor, but I have done acting work, so. Sometimes when I get stopped in the street, I think people are like, oh, he was like, like, obviously I'm going to enjoy it. Like, I'm, it's nice to get stopped in the street and people to say and recognise you. I don't understand why people wouldn't enjoy that. So if they're friendly and all that, I'll easily stand and talk to somebody for 20 minutes or something. I think people can be a wee bit surprised by that. But fuck it, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I guess, I guess when you become, you know, Jay-Z or like, you know, ah, someone yeah. that like, when it's happening, like every person's like, yeah. oh my God, and then like, cunts are chasing you with fucking cameras, that was, that's when you'd go, mm, I don't enjoy this anymore. I, I, I mean, look, see the end of the day, I've been a labourer my whole life and a fucking windy cleaner and a trolley boy, so see if people want to talk to me about a TV show that I was in, I, I'm going to, like, it's nice, it is nice. Jay Z gave up forty minutes for me at T J Hughes last week as well. He was brand new. He was just he was buying a four slice toaster. New album's done well. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I uh, I I get fucking anxiety with people I even know in the streets, man. Like, see tomorrow, see if I was walking by the street and I just my head was fucked and I seen you, even though you were in here last night, I'd be like, how many steps to the side do I need to take to just walk by without being noticed? Because, like, you know, to the fact that strangers would be stopping me if I was in any way, you know, known, oh, I'd shame myself. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you do get some absolute crackpots, like, messaging me on Facebook and stuff. Like, what are you doing on Saturday, mate? You're like, what? <laughs> what are you doing on Saturday night? And like nothing. You are come down the boys are coming up, you are come in and just like dress up as Bobby and we'll give you gear and all that. And you're like <laughs> No <laughs> How much would it take though? Like you have a counter offered and say, nah, two hundred and fifty quid, I'll do ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a mad request, right? The guy was like, uh, do you want to do this fundraiser? And I was like, What's it for? And he's like, uh, it's to maintain my best mate's grave. And I was like, What? And he's like, ah, you just do 30 minutes of stand-up and it's all the money goes towards my mate's grave. And I was like, whereabouts? And he's like, it's actually in a place beside the graveyard. And I was like, that's ah, too mental, mate. That's too that, mental. That's like two hours of material, but Aye. if you went to that, that's... But it is like hunters of mad shit like that. But in the street, everybody's brand new. Have you Not ever f- had anybody famous slide into your DMs that you've went, fuck, nice. A couple of the boys fair. Mrs Brown's boys Aye. have messaged me and I've messaged them. So nice, so cool. Obviously, all the Scottish guys are brand new. Des Clark, uh, Robert Florence yeah. has been really kind. Tom Urie, I class him as a, a friend now. Yeah, he's went for an incredible journey in the past couple of years. Oh, he? unbelievable. Uh, I think he's lost about 18 stone or something That's phenomenal, man. He actually kind of looks a wee bit like Des now, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. They get that all the time, by the way. They get that all the time. Um, Shane's holding up a bit of paper. I was trying to be sneaky. 
Yeah, you, you were very subtle. Very yeah, subtle. no, yeah. he ran in the room, looked at me, and I went, ah, oh, fucked it. Oh, my is, it is it saying wrap it up? He's no, boring no, as fuck. Let me do a quiz with us. I've written down Urban Dictionary quiz. Fuck. Right, okay. <laughs> You ready, Danny? You got one? Uh, yeah, we haven't done this for fucking ages, have we? We haven't. That's a quiz. What? So Danny will explain the Do you remember, your, do you remember your line uh, for the song? Aye. Yes. I Can I get any character? Aye, Method actor, we better. What, what, like, what are you? Like a public? Is your character the public <laughs> masturbator? Like, you, you look like creepy as fuck right now. You're man. ruining it. You're ruining sorry, it. Sorry, sorry. You're ruining it. Do you mean to make sexy noises? I don't want you to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'll feel as much of a dick as you're going to think I'm here in a minute, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boobs and wellies and bombs and jazz. What does it mean? The Urban Dictionary Quiz. Hello and welcome to the Urban Dictionary Quiz. <laughs> I'm Danny, your host. Uh, joining us is returning loser, Shane, as always. How uh, are I you? think you said champion wrong. You said returning you champion. You smoked by Jean McCarry the last time we played this. Ah. Absolutely smoked. So, you ready to lose again? Really good. She's got experience though, you know. Yep, so your challenge today is Darren. Darren, how you doing? Yes, I'm well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Are you feeling after the hearing the theme song? You any idea what this could be? No, but you looked devastated while you were singing it. <laughs> just, uh, do you know, see, when I first done that, I was pure chuffed with myself. It was a catchy wee jingle. And then see when you start singing it to people, I feel yeah. cheap, man. Like, I feel fucking awful. And uh, to fully disclose, uh, anyone that's not listening, Danny did come up with that on the spot. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it right. wasn't as if he wrote it down for months. You, you say that as if people couldn't already tell that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, so I uh, Urban Dictionary quiz, you're aware of the website Urban Dictionary? Yes. Right, so it's three terms from that. You both take a punt, guessing what you think it means. James will play the role of judge, um, and a point goes to whoever is closest. And how will we change it up? Point, if you both get it wrong, we'll give a point to whoever gives the funniest answer. Aye, let's do that. Right, okay. Right, so Shane, we'll give you the first go on first word, which today is twiggleting. Ooh... Twiggleting. Sounds like toileting. Can you use that in a sentence, please? Uh, two things. Yep. <laughs> no, in fact, because it kind of gives it away. I'll trim it down a bit. Dave was keen to see if Diane would create a better game of twiggleting when they'd done it later based on the curry she was eating. Right. So it's something to do with poop. Um, what is it? Are you devil bluffing me? I reckon, right, it's it's having sex on the toilet but not pooping but you've got your pants down. So you're sitting there on the toilet with your pants off, right, in a pooping position. I was saying pooping, what am I, like seven? Having a shit, right? <laughs> um, and you're not poop. fucking, you're not taking, you're not actually pooing. Yeah. And someone's having intercourse with you and you're trying not to poo. Right, okay. Thank, thank you for using the word pooping because it kind of adds a little bit of charm to this fucking awful game. So, Aaron, you're up. Twiggleting. Right. Um, <laughs> it's just a mind fuck, isn't it? Um, right, okay. So, right, I need to agree there, but I'm going to say there is shit involved, but somehow they need to look like twiglets, the, the chocolate. Yep. That's what twiglets are, isn't uh, they? You're aware of twiglets, Shane? No, no, stuff. they're crisps. They're crisps, but they're coloured. They're like kind of like. Oh. They're kind <laughs> of brown like, crisps. <laughs> sort of like straight pretzels. Would that be the best way to. Aye. Pretzels are shite in them, man. I think we've got a clear winner there, James. Aye, I'd say Darren just yeah. for the fact that he added the shit to it. Yeah. It was, uh, so, matter of fact, it was uh, sticking your finger up somebody's arse and coming out with some oh, shit on your fingers. Oh my god. Give you the exact reading yeah. of it. Uh, the sexual act of pulling your finger from your partner's arsehole and realising they are coated in shit. 
sniffing and licking them while pulling a face similar to when eating the snack the name derives from. Wow. I, I, can't, didn't, I didn't read the full bit about the snack. I, I kind of wish I hadn't read that second sentence, oh, if I'm being honest. Yeah. You've, 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 the line about making the face, I thought made it funny because Twiglets are awful, but now I just, you know. Are Twiglets even still about? I don't know. Twiglets are very, like every 90s UK sitcom always referenced Twiglets. Yeah. Uh, you remember you used to, like, this is back in the fucking heyday of advertising when everybody was doing it on TV. They used to have a Twiglets advert. That's how big they must have been at the time. Yeah. You wouldn't see a fucking Twiglets advert on TV nowadays, would you? Social media advert somewhere in somebody's Facebook. We're bringing it back. This is what we've just done. We've given sponsored by Twiglets. marketing people. You've now got someone like fingering their partner and like looking it. Totally, mate. I don't. That's all I know about Twiglets. That's how we started this podcast. That's how we're ending it. That's why the camera's on. I know. I'm like really. All of a sudden, as soon as you start talking about the arsehole part, there, I'm like, I've got a camera in my face, man. I don't know what to look at. <laughs> just bend over Aye. and hum next so, question no, go back to the hum. blood chat go back to the blood chat <laughs> right second one they're all not as bad now I promise you uh, so the second one Darren you get first go at twisty pickle twisty pickle twisty pickle okay I'm a bit of an expert when it comes to pickles so I'm going to imagine that that's like a gherkin pickle and it is a hand job manoeuvre so someone's giving you a hand job but it's twisting, so hence the term twisty pickle. Right, okay, okay. Shane? I reckon it's when your, your junk, your dick, gets kind of, you know, like when you're sitting in funny positions or you're in a wetsuit or something, it all gets wrapped up together and, like, you know, your pubes get wrapped around your penis and your balls are on top, and I think it's like <laughs> it's like testicle, but it's twisty cool. What was the word? <laughs> twisty cool, did you say that? <laughs> yeah, like a twisty cool. Twisticle was also on Urban Dictionary. I did see that earlier. Is that, yeah, I basically think it's when you've done something and, and for whatever reason, sweat or whatever has put your junk in a weird situation where all things are on top and your, your pubes are just like coming out your ears and it's just a weird and confusing and you've got to sit there and go, wait a second, where does, where does my balls end and my dick start? That kind of situation. That's what I think it is. We, uh, I thought Isaac Fistel Game was good at this quiz, but I think we have like a fucking champion of champions yeah, on our hands right like, now. Is it me? It's, it's not you, that, <laughs> that was pretty much accurate, and my new favourite thing is seeing you try and guess what it is after someone's already got it right. <laughs> yeah, you went on for so long there when we knew Dan had already got that as right. As soon as he'd said it as well, I was like, I bet that's it, like I bet that's fucking it, and I was like, I can't go, I want the same thing. So um, the exact definition, when your significant other gives you a loving rope burn on your penis. Oh, Oh, fucking brilliant so 2-0 Darren I'm wins but we've got a third smug. so we'll just play for fun wee bit of sport try and get a consolation point here Shane Aye, uh, this is worth 5 points for you Shane cool just because uh, we know you're not going to get it <laughs> now this one uh, the last one was themed we went with pickle for you Darren so this final one we've got the vegan wank <laughs> I'm sure there's a Twitter account out there called that isn't it probably a lot I looked up so see when you put in vegan in the Urban Dictionary there's a lot of really angry people out there trying to define vegan mm-hmm. so if that's that, is that a clue I don't know if that's a clue it's more charming than that can you use it in a sentence please Denny uh, yeah so here's a conversation between somebody called Isle and somebody called Finch um, what did you do last night I bashed out a vegan wank in the garden ah 
I'll take this one. Okay. I believe it's when you masturbate using a leaf or some form of foliage from a tree that's obviously non-meat related. I guess it's wanking with the food stuff that's not meat. Right, okay. Yeah. Darren, do you want to eat Kevin, different go? Or? A vegan wank in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> I would say reading at the garden is optional. Right, okay. So, right, okay. I don't, I've had a brick wall because, like, a a, wee, a vegan wine. <laughs> I can't believe this is a serious conversation. <laughs> right, the the vegan wank would obviously be like a mad hipster with a hat and barefoot and stuff. But if it was a vegan having a wank, I would imagine he's like lying in a field, completely naked, having a wank to the moon or something. <laughs> the bird noises. Yeah. Like, just like... <laughs> Yeah, oh. completely flaccid. <laughs> How long do you think it would take you to complete uh, whilst having a wank, like to the moon? You, you're not allowed to think of anything. You're not allowed to go to the wank back. You just need to wank to the moon. Know. The moon's got that wee cheeky smile on it, like <laughs> the man in the moon. It's... I'm not. I'm not really getting to completion of smiles, mate. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah, imagine like your missus walked out the back door and you're just like lying having a wank to the sky. Chloe, <laughs> <laughs> I need to finish. <laughs> My backyard's Alexandra Park, so fucking... <laughs> that definitely happens, um, I think we <laughs> we have a winner with that one, don't we? Uh, yeah, so... Um, vegan... Worth one point, I'd said beforehand, didn't I? Consolation point. I believe yeah, it was five. Yeah. Did I get it? It's not exact, it's not exact. It's... I just appreciated the use of the word foliage. Yeah, <laughs> me too, yeah. So a vegan wank is the act of masturbating with one's elbows whilst using lettuce for texture. There you go. Well done. Well We've done. all done it. We've all been there. But the non-vegan version, you do use like frozen chicken steaks, mm. Captain Bird's Eye efforts. How would you rate that quiz out of all the quizzes you've ever taken, Darren? <laughs> it was really fucking offensive, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so this is basically series four of Scott Squad, the right now. Aye. I can't believe I'm out. doing Panto again this year. I'm going to get cancelled. What, hey, what's Panto like, man? Because you, do you not need to commit, like, what, two months of your life to it? Yeah, it's really good though. Um, it's, Is it, that in terms of, like, you get mad cash, don't you? Well, not for me because I was in a theatre in Dundee. It's like a college theatre, so, I mean, it's still a okay wage, but not... How does it compare in terms of nerves from doing stand-up comedy to performing a, what is presumably like children and families? Well, that that is the game changer. I've went from, like, oh, I was just doing this as a hobby to oh this is the real deal this is a show fully priced tickets I need to perform well so it's two shows a day for six weeks and it's fantastic stand up is like very you're by yourself and it's cutthroat but uh, Panto's more of a family there's a lot of camaraderie there as well at the start as a stand up comedian I was like oh, I feel a wee bit cheap and I feel like I'm selling my soul doing this and see when you go into a panto it's so hard it's so so hard people don't give it the respect that it deserves I think Michelle McManus tweeted something like this like see your first experience of going going into a theatre at any point in your life is a panto Mm -hmm. Uh, something like 50% of theatre's income come from pantos as well so and it gives so many people jobs and it's good for the soul and all like there's a lot of make-a-wish people there there was a lot of disabled kids from schools and all that kind of stuff well, that that's goes. Like your schools like 
you know, I remember being in like primary six or seven, you go for a day trip yeah. there and it's it's amazing. Yeah. And then you go and watch it when you're older and you realise that in between the, you know, there's subtle little jokes that are there for yeah. the adults. There's I mean there's jokes there that are full blown adult jokes. Because you guys get a script to use have to then not rewrite it but amend it because you're you're doing a play and then amend it to update it to yeah. reflect current culture kind of thing. Yeah, and I was quite lucky because Scott Squad's improv as well. So the the guy that gave me the part in the panto gave me it because of Scott Squad, and then my part in the panto I'm allowed to improv as well. So what was your part? The Huntsman in Snow White. So it was a really nice part and it was good. And he was like, you can improv as much as you want, but obviously stay within your, you know. Did you have to sing? Not this year, but I sang last year. What did you sing? Oh, I sang with Tom Urie. I can't. Is it the Urban Dictionary <laughs> Quiz theme tune? <laughs> <laughs> Stick a carrot up my ass. Tom's a singer, though, is he? Yeah, he's a trained singer and plays many instruments he was a musical director this year as well so i never had a song this year but see when you're surrounded with people like tom yuri they make it very easy for you because you're see when you're a trained actor which i'm not they they don't get nervous so see when you're singing and dancing in front of people they just do it effortlessly i struggle in rehearsal rooms like i feel self-conscious dancing in front of people because i can't dance after a couple of weeks, they're just like, look, we're a family, let's do it. I do it a couple of times and then it settles my nerves because it's completely against every every part of what I'd be like. But as soon as you're in front of a crowd, it's, it's all right. You just switch on. Yeah. It's kind of just like comedy, you know yeah. you're there, your best mate, you're there. Yeah, because okay, see, the off. first year I did a panto, I was so bad in rehearsals that the director was like, it was an Irish director and the guy was like, is he going to be all right? And <laughs> Tom Yuri was like, as soon as he gets a crowd, he'll be okay. And I, I've heard that's really common with stand-up comedians that do pantos, that they're utterly shite during rehearsals. But as soon as you get a crowd, you're all right. It's then familiar, isn't it? It's then yeah. like, wait a second, I know this game. I've, I've got a script, but I'm not looking silly in front of these guys. I'm entertaining these other guys. Yeah. Whereas in rehearsal, it's a bunch of professionals and you're going, I don't want to look like a dick in front of that guy. Yeah. I know him, he's funny. You don't want to be like, oh, I don't want to be bummed out in front of my friends. But in front of strangers who have paid to see, you know, mm-hmm. who have paid to laugh, it's like, fuck you, yeah, I'll make you laugh. Yeah. And plus, a, a comedian, they always feed off the crowd in responses. Even if you say a shite joke, you'll get a response and you'll know it's shite. In a rehearsal room, it's just complete silence and it's very alien. It's a different energy. In yeah. I, I but, don't think I could handle a panto, but I'd no. love to. I'd love to give it a bash, man. We it's should, amazing. We should do one just for like. No, adults. we shouldn't. Absolutely <laughs> not. Nah, no, Dan's get this game sewn up. We can. You can I, I ended up chain smoking cigars this year because I was fucking stressed at my nut. I, I was like, I'll have a cigar, one cigar a day. Ended up on about eight cigars a day. I was like, this is the most intense thing I've ever done. People think fr- the fringe is hard. Do a panto, and you're like, right, okay. What happens after Christmas? Because to me. We don't have panto in New Zealand, so when I first got over, it was mental. It's like, I was explaining it to mum, and I was like, imagine a bunch of grown men making sex jokes to kids and getting away with it. And mum's like, that sounds mental, because mum's a teacher. But, like, it's a Christmas thing. And the other day, I was going, like, I don't know, it was like the second or third, and we were going shopping for some jeans. And there were kids dressed up going to panto, and I was like, what the fuck are they doing? And my girlfriend's like, they're going to panto. And I was like, 
Well, the fuck it, they still go in a pinto for. Still be on, won't it? Yeah, or, yeah. Like the performance. Uh, it's not the end of January. Something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Usually. Does the does the vibe change after Christmas or is it like? It's it's one of those things though. It's such a beautiful thing. Like see when it's after Christmas, people are they know that it could be strange, so they get involved anyway, yeah. and it makes it better. And see, you still say things like Merry Christmas and stuff during it, but it gets laughs and. You know, people go along with the joke, but I did feel like I had, I was sh- shell-shocked after it. I went, I got a catch-up with my pal, we went into a restaurant and I actually said to the waitress when she was walking away, thanks pals, and I was like, oh, <laughs> been saying that for six weeks, like, you hear the music as well, it's just ringing in your ears. You go to sleep and you're just hearing everything. Yeah. It's, it's the worst part not having to like deal with the patter of telling people that you're doing panto and the kind of jokes that you can mm. imagine for oh, no, you're not. Yeah. yeah. I went into my dad's house. See, I came back to vote and my dad, I walked into my dad's house and my dad was like, he said something like it's behind you or something. And I just literally gave him a death stare. Like, <laughs> like just shut the I'm fuck up. for you, dad. I, <laughs> or no, oh, I, was do- I started doing jokes about it in my set and somebody was like, oh no, it's not. And I'm like, I'm not even... Yeah. You should be allowed. I think comedians should be allowed like one knife on stage like, and one hall pass throughout the whole comedian career. Just one person that they can throw it and hit them right square in between their fucking <laughs> eyes, man. And just that ends them. The worst heckler of all time, just boom. But you have to throw it with your left hand. What if you're left-handed? Well, then that's a fucking <laughs> life hack, isn't it? Yeah. So hey. do you do it every single day? Like, do you do it, Did like, you have to move to Dundee for that? Yeah, I was up there on digs for six weeks. I get Christmas Day off and a Monday off and that was it. It was it was hardcore. How many shows? Oh, fuck, I can't even remember. It was two a day with a couple of weeks rehearsals. So... It was pretty good. I mean, kids are not daft either. See, I felt like, see, when I, I was an ugly sister last year and I actually felt like a wrestler, like, in front of a crowd and one of the kids uh, shouted, uh, you're a dick! And uh, it just got a massive laugh. Like, it was a five-year-old <laughs> child calling me a dick as I'm in an ugly sister costume. I was, like, 18 stone, like, fucking Hulk Hogan. Like, hey! It's not quite the this is awesome chant, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Just when on a cigars thing, I quite like a cigar. Yeah, I love them, man. Because you don't inhale it really, don't you? It's nah. only just affecting your mouth and you feel a wee bit gangster. It's one of those things you can take and you're mm-hmm. like, I, I'm never going to feel as cool as I feel when I'm smoking a cigar. See, when they're going good, they're good. Like, you're like, ah, look how cool I am. I look like Snoop Dogg, apart from the fact that I'm bald and white and tiny. But like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you have a few beers and shit and then you accidentally inhale and that's when you're like, Look how cool I am. <laughs> I know they're really good at this. <laughs> like it's yeah. that fucking, that horrible, like you only have to inhale once to be like, you can't get that taste out of your mouth for fucking days. It's just yeah. an apology to everyone wearing headphones there for that one. Hi. Or just everyone. Hi. Last couple of questions, mate. See if you could choose between acting, comedy, or hosting the Urban Dictionary Quiz for the rest of your life, what would it be? You want me to say Urban Dictionary quiz thing? Nah, I was just throwing that in for a <laughs> third <laughs> option. There's already one person looking for a job here soon, so I, put me out one as well. It doesn't mean that I don't equally love them. It's just because I've been a stand-up for 10 years. I haven't been an actor for that long. So I would love to be an actor. Yeah, just to... <laughs> to do something different. Money. 
more money, <laughs> aye, and just not being up a pub in Fife on a fucking Tuesday night. So uh, how do you then take it that you've got this, uh, you've got this um, iconic character that's on Scott Squad now? How do you do? You go to additions now? Yeah, I've had a couple. Agent or what? Yeah, I've got an agent. I've had a couple of additions, but you know I have been really busy with stand up, and I would. This comes out next Monday, doesn't it? Aye. Right, so I've I've been cast and you know that I'm not a bully, he's a Tim. Uh-huh. Yeah. I get I've got a part in that, so it gets announced tomorrow. Perfect. And I'm just thinking I, I need to start doing other things now. because uh, Scott Squad won't be there forever. I don't want to be typecasted either, even though I love Bobby. Um I just want to do other things. And plus I love horror movies and stuff and sci fi and Things like Black Mirror. I'd love to be like a fucking serial killer or a psychopath or something. Just Taggart just came a wee bit too late. Ah, no, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, or and things like weird things like The Machinist and stuff. That's what I really love, like mad films. So, I'd like to maybe try something like that to be completely. Well, Shane, your brother's a director in New Zealand. Make make it happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the commute's a, a wee, it's a bitch. <laughs> Mate, I'd do it. Mate, he stayed in Dundee. Dundee, I know. He's not afraid of it. So, uh, and you're doing comedy, aren't you? You're actually, you're doing a Glasgow Comedy Festival the night after our show. Yes. And you're doing a stand. Yes. Town. Yep. Tell us a wee bit about that. So it's just going to be... Chuckletown's a Joker reference. Have you seen the Joker? Aye, brilliant film. So see the bit when... Um, they're all sitting in the, the office when when they do the signs with the clowns and stuff mm-hmm. and the big chubby guy comes in and he, he says, another day in Chuckletown. Mm-hmm. So that's where I got that from. But Chuckletown's like Glasgow as well. So I'm just going to talk about life in Glasgow, sobriety, Talk because next m- month will be a year vegan and just talk about how it's changed my, my mental health and all that kind of stuff. Because have you ever seen me do stand-up? I've seen you. Yeah, right. yeah. Aye, aye. So, so normally, like years ago, it was like self degrading and stuff. Like, oh, I'm a big fat cunt. Don't get a bird. What kill myself? Mm. But then I've went vegan, and I'm like, I don't feel depressed anymore. Or even if I do try to do the, oh, I'm a big fat cunt, it doesn't feel nah. right. Excellent. I'm very so, pleased that gimmick's freed up from me getting back I, to <laughs> stuff. Or like even like when I say it, I feel like oh, this feels like really cheap comedy the same way like a comedian with red hair would slag themselves for being ginger i just feel like no that's really cheap and there's a fine line between see when you start joking about something it can become a reality as well so maybe i started off with the depression stuff as a joke and then it became real so like i just want to talk about my life and how it's changed it really self-fulfilling prophecy yeah that's do you know what in that setting and you know, speaking honestly about it, it's it's good for people to hear. Yeah, there is a lot of people out there that are depressed. You know, that have maybe not even aware of it. Yeah, and don't know how to tackle it, mm-hmm. and don't know that you can come out the other side. So if you're talking about it and you know a space where you make people laugh, it just you know normalizes it. Yeah, good. definitely. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm doing a lot of new material as well. I'm doing an hour of new material. I've started working on it. I did 39 minutes last night at the stand. I ran my own night on Sunday, so I'm I'm back in the circuit, properly doing stand up again. I've got a love for it. Um, even though I says I wanted to be an actor there, it's not because I don't love stand up. It's just I need what's it called? A bit of I, ju- I just need 
stimulation that's mm-hmm. different. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well, we're going to hold you to the acting thing, so after this gig, you're, you're out of the game, mate. Sorry, that's just the promises you make in this podcast. Aye. I don't know. Danny and Shane will take all your gigs. Aye, so that's, uh, that's me performing at the 13th. <laughs> Spots freed up. Um, no, but mate, thank you for uh, coming on. Tickets on Glasgow Comedy Festival website. Yep. Uh, grab them there. Definitely go and see them. We are sold out, so we're not going to plug our tickets unless we get any more seats. Ah, hum- humble brag there. Smooth. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky <laughs> bastards. Ours is for charity, right? All 12 <laughs> of those tickets, all gone. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll grab some tickets tonight as well. And yeah, thank you for coming in. Really appreciate it, mate. Thank you. And we're going to use all this footage that we're taking you talking about the arse and putting it all over the planet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll destroy you. That's, uh, that's your showreel for Hollywood, sorry. Aye, I know. 